Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Tuckians? What's happening? How, how, how's everything going? Welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. My guest today, this is actually kind of an old style WTF. Old school. I'll explain to you why in a little while. My guest today is Eric Andre, uh, the very funny, uh, very ballsy, uh, unique Eric Andre. Um, and it was, uh, it was somewhat of a, it was a long time coming, folks, this WTF. And not because uh, he was hard to get or, well, quite honestly, it's because he didn't want to do it and I didn't want him to do it. And quite frankly, we had some trouble. We had some problems. And well, I'll, again, this is this is the way it used to go. This is what the original WTFs uh, sounded like. A lot of them, and it was nice. It was it was at once a sign of progress on my part, but also uh, a, a sign of uh, you know continued progress necessary in a way. Uh, let me let me let me do a couple other things, and I'll and I'll try to fill you in if you haven't been with us since the beginning brian jones the guy who makes the cat mugs uh made some new ones all right they're available uh, right now i believe um today is it today yeah they go on sale at 12 noon eastern 9 a.m pacific you can go to brianrjones.com to get your hand thrown ceramic mug by a local artist in portland if you live in portland he's a local artist but these are of his creation originally. Again, if you didn't know, these mugs were made exclusively. The original version of them were made exclusively to give to to guests on the show as sort of a, a little piece of unique swag. And now you can have them. And they are not they are not like the original ones. They're they've evolved. There's been several styles because, you know, Brian Jones is an artist. He's got to make his, you know, he's got to make his pots and plates and pictures and things look uh Look different. He's got to evolve. So you're looking at some evolved mugs there. So so grab those if you want. They usually they sell pretty quickly and they're pretty fancy. And they're they're also a, a fine gift idea, if I could say so. Could I say so? I think so. Also, before I forget, I'm just I'm gonna keep it shallow in terms of uh looking out at the landscape, but uh I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona, August twentieth. 
for two shows. That's a Saturday at Stand Up Live. And shortly thereafter, I'll be at the Albuquerque Journal Theater, September 3rd, for a benefit there for the Endorphin Power Company. It's a rehab sort of halfway house type of facility where they have meetings and do some work and there's places for people to live that uh, hit the skids of one kind or or another. Uh, But you can get the links to those, both of those, for tickets at WTFPod.com slash tour. Yeah, so that's a little business out of the way. I also want to uh, thank uh, everyone for all the nice feedback about the surprising Roseanne interview. Apparently, a lot of you uh, forgot about uh, why you loved her. Like, I just got this uh, this email. Roseanne, episode 729. Mark, I worked a, a small theater show back in 1992 with Roseanne and Tom. It was chaos between them backstage and eventually ended with a, a tray of fried chicken being thrown down a hallway at Tom and the crew. I'd been under the assumption this whole time that she was just one of those showbiz types that just treated people kind of poorly after listening to your show today. That logic has shifted. Like all of us, she is only human and has endured some heavy, heavy shit. I was young and cocky and presumptuous and she had every right to throw that chicken well that was the interesting thing you know it's uh rosanna is very you know a lot of different uh, manifestations but the, at the core of it she's um she's a sensitive and uh brilliant comedic entertainer that made made out pretty well for herself and she's got uh, other stuff on her mind i was just happy we were able to really focus on comedy and her career and and what makes her great there was also a bit of feedback about my poetic uh vitriolic ramble about the nature of Trump supporters in in some respects that I thought was very empathetic. Most of the feedback was positive. There were a few of those uh, weird trolling type of emails of people. They there's, there's only a couple of people, types of people that do that. And, and usually neither one of them are telling the truth in any real way. There's the guy that say, writes the email, says, yeah, I heard what you said. And, you know, I'm completely opposite to what you described and you're wrong. And then, you know, if you go into an exchange with them, they become exactly what you described. Then there's the other one. It's like, hey, I heard what you said. And I used to be a regular listener. Not anymore. There was like two of those. And you know what? Not regular listeners. Look, if you can't handle five minutes of poetic vitriol, about something that's happening right now that comes from my heart and my mind. If you can't get through five minutes of that without shutting the show down, we don't need you. We don't, I don't need you. And I don't believe you. If you're that sensitive, you know what I mean? It's interesting how this, uh, this campaign though does shift from, you know, at once, uh, one, one day being like terrifying, then the, the next day being completely hilarious. Obviously, deep on a deeper level, it indicates something much more grave. But uh, but you know what I'm saying. It's exciting some days in a funny way, and it's exciting some days in a terrifying way. And I guess that's just going to be the way it's going to be. Eric Andre is here. Now, here's the deal. As some of you have listened to this show for a long time, a lot of the show at the beginning was me kind of patching it up with people that I either uh, actually offended or that I thought I offended or that people that I, I needed to uh, make a, a amends with or, 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 or sort of uh, meet halfway. It was a lot about reparations and yeah eventually i ran out of people to to have reparations with but there was a few outstanding there are some that are probably going to stay outstanding for the rest of my life and i'll just have to resolve that stuff on the inside but uh eric andre i first met him and he reminds me because i didn't remember i guess at the aspen comedy festival where years ago must have been the last one where i was actually a decent dude when i remember meeting him was after the divorce was sort of like, 
I was just beaten, beaten and broke from a divorce, cranky, cynical, miserable, full of the fucking rage and hate towards me, towards everything. Didn't know where everything was going to end up. It was not a good time. And Eric Andre was uh, hosting a show that I did. And, you know, I thought it that, like I was like, maybe, yeah, and I've had this problem. So I mean, and I'll own it. You know, sometimes I've, I've had little problems with younger comics. I, obviously, maybe I, I feel threatened or maybe I just am judgy or maybe I'm uh, jealous or, 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 or just annoyed. I don't know. But there was one night and I remember it where he fucking, you know, he, it, something he did stuck in my craw and I was, and I laid into him on stage and I didn't stop for a while. And here's the honest to God truth about it. And I don't know that he really knows it. So that went on for years. I mean, cause that happened in like way back, like 2007, 2008. And he was always, you know, he's been around a long time, but he always annoyed me cause I didn't really know what he did. And I just didn't, I just didn't like him. He just was a fucking annoying to me and he was cocky and it, and it just, it, he always annoyed me. And then eventually it just kind of lessened. And then it was sort of like, well, he got a show, but I had not really seen the show. And, and I, you know, I felt better about myself and, you know, whatever. And uh, I just didn't care anymore. And, 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 and I didn't see any reason for me to be mad at him. And then I tried to get him on the show and he wasn't, he wouldn't fucking do it. But I get it. Why would he? But then part of me was like, well, fuck him then. So there's a lot of emotions tied up with it. And then I ran into him at some magazine, like book fair thing. And I ran into him and we looked at each other and I'm like, well, what, where are we at? We okay? He's like, I don't know. I guess, you know, it was still not good, but it was better. It opened up a sort of a, a line of communication, but not quite. But then like, then, you know, he's got the, his new seasons out. I said, do you want to do it or you want to come on the show? Let's do it. And he's like, okay, but you got to watch the show. Like he's basically kind of like, I really want you to watch him. And I watched it and uh, I loved it. There's very few people that can do that shit good. You know, the the pranking and the fucking, you know, like just like off the fucking grid, punk rock, insane shit. But he does it well. And, he, and his man on the street shit is hilarious. And uh, I like the show. I got it. I thought he he does it differently. There's not many people doing that. I mean, Tim and Eric and there's been some uh, the jackass guys, but there's a way of of pranking and doing things. It just kind of blew my mind and uh, I respected it and I appreciated his talent. But this, see, we recorded this before he did the RNC and I saw that clip of him, that sort of gonzo pranking guy with a mic at the Republican National Convention when he just kind of stepped in with fucking Alex Jones. He just baffled that, you know, that, that guy, what is that guy that's sort of, he's like one of these um, sort of radio champions of uh, elaborate impotence. One of these great sort of, you know, you know, you know fist wagging kind of like conspiracy theorists that just uh, will never get any resolution. But, but, uh, but Eric just stepped in and just was fucking whack job with him and it just kind of threw him off his groove entirely and just all he could do is sit there and say like, you know, we're, we're going to edit this out. We're going to edit this out. It's just interesting when some sort of odd fucking reality, you know, just comes into the periphery of a complete fucking control freak's life and all they can do is like just sort of close it down. Oh, we're we're, we're going to take care of this. We're going to, oh my God, real life is happening and I don't understand it and I, you know, who is this and what, what? Oh boy, I wonder if this is part of the Freemasons. But uh, it was very funny. And his new season is very funny. And I think we pulled it together. I think we we definitely had a good time. I'll tell you that. 
I have a, a respect for pranksters. I have a respect. And it sort of rides the edge of uh, envy at the freedom of it and the sort of uh, complete, confident uh, uh, cojones to uh, make a, to risk making a fool out of yourself but be able to live there. I mean, we all do that to a certain degree, comics. But, boy, man, some of that shit on this new season of Eric Andre's show of him out on the street. There, it's so funny because he's always got – there's always blood involved. There's always a little bit of blood involved. I talked to him a little bit about that. But you can uh, watch the show. The Eric Andre show is back tomorrow night, August 5th, on Adult Swim. And now this is me and uh, initially uh, a slightly – not tense – but uh, you know, he had his he had you know he had his thing he had his territory I had mine and we you know we needed to uh, bring it together. So this is me and Eric on. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now, wherever you get your podcasts. Wait, how long have you been here? When did we, when did I uh, piss you off? When did we piss each other off? How long ago was that? I'd say like five years ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So should I tell the story? You want to tell? You, I'd like you to hear to tell? You, I know that I was wrong, but I'd like to hear your side of the story. I was hosting a show. At the fucking. At Tiger Lily. At, yeah. a, at a fucking Hollywood Italian Gulch. restaurant the at Hollywood Gower Gulch. Gower Gulch at a, I don't even think it's an Italian restaurant. It's just like no. a vague, like yeah. it's almost like an airport Hollywood restaurant. Bar and Grill. Hollywood Bar and Grill, the vaguest restaurant. Yeah, I'm hosting a show. I hate yeah. hosting. Hosting is like a miserable position, right? You know, right. Like work the crowd and set up each comic. You can't just do dive into your regular yeah. set. You got to bring the audience to the show, right? And it wasn't an easy room ever, really. There's like three people in the room, three like civilians. Everybody else is comedians and they're eating dinner. They don't even know what the fuck's going on. They just see me. I'm some guy talking into a microphone. Yeah. And I was very stressed. I was a stress ball in those days. I was like, now, now I like meditate and go to therapy. And all you were the new guy in town too, right? I was relatively new in town. And I like, I was like, oh, I fucking hate hosting, but I'll host. And I had... I never get fucked up on stage, but I had like that night, I took a Xanax and drank some wine. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. I was just like loosey goose and I was like, I got a host. I'll just do some crowd work. Yeah. Bring the people to the show. It's like, I'm not, I wasn't working on my Carnegie Hall special right. by any stretch of the imagination yeah. for three people at a 7 p.m. show at an yeah. Italian restaurant. <laughs> and I'm just like riffing and just like weaving in and out of jokes and trying to like, you know, work the two people in the audience yeah. that are confused what's happening. Yeah. And then you got on stage and you fucking ripped me a new asshole. Like, out of no, I was like blind. You were like, what's your name? You, you like whispered in my ear as you're walking. I'm like, yeah, what's your name? I was like, Eric, Andre. And then you're like, 
I'm Eric Andre, flippity dee, like Comedy Central roast, <laughs> ripping into me. And all the comics are like, fuck him, you got to rip into him next. And I'm like, hi. So I'm like, what the fuck did I do? Why am I getting bullied? I'm doing a fucking, I just moved to LA. I'm doing an Italian restaurant for two people yeah. trying to host. And this guy, yeah. I kept calling you uh, Professor Comedy. Yeah. You were up there yeah. lecturing me. Uh-huh. I was actually calling me when you went back up. Did you call me Professor Comedy when you went back up? Yeah, I was like, thanks. I was like, uh, I don't remember. I was like, thanks, uh, old man Winters, fucking Professor Comedy, lecturing me and wagging your finger. I was like, I'm not practicing my HBO special. Like, I'm fucking high. Well, sorry about that. Yeah, and then I ripped on you for wearing uh, yeah patchouli, patchouli, yeah. patchouli, yeah, patchouli. yeah. No, you. That's had about a- as much as I get in. But I'm not like a roast comment. That's like not my bag. Me so I'm like, so I'm like, uh, I'm like tra- grass. I'm high. I'm like I feel good. I'm on Xanax, and you know I didn't even mind that. It was I wasn't pissed off about that. Yeah, I was like, you know what? It's all we're all just razzing each other. Whatever. I was pissed off because my writing partner came up to me the next day and he was like hey did you piss off mark maron i go oh no yeah i was just hosting the show and then he goes no it had nothing to do with the show i was at bar lubich and i overheard him talking to somebody so it's some other comic and he was like you know this eric andre guy who the fuck does this guy think he is he fucking sucks blah, blah, blah. i was like what the fuck did i do this is fucking crazy like i was like what what do you want from me so that's when i was pissed off and i was like mother fuck this guy man right like and that went on for a while we, we yeah and then every time i saw you you'd be like come up to talk to me i was like you just talk shit about me at some random yeah. shows because i wasn't like up to your standard of perfection no no at it wasn't the fucking that. gower gulch here's what hollywood happened. bar and grill i know i know at like, fucking 6 30 p.m on a i was Tuesday. being a dick i was being a dick so but i, I can explain frustrated. it yeah go ahead do you want me to i would love to, i would love i would <laughs> love you to. i would love nothing more but do you feel malice towards me now or are we truly cool or is this gonna no, we should I work think it you out got, i think you got over I think you were, I didn't take it, eventually I didn't take it too personally, I, I, I think you were dealing with my own problems. With your own problems. In hindsight, I was like, he might be a man who's dealing with his own problems. Then I heard how many other people you were, were having problems. similar problems with you, and then, and then it was when the show started, when yeah. the BTF started, yeah. and like you started airing your oh, yeah. beefs with- Louis and right. John Stewart and all these people. I was like, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. This guy seems to have a pattern, a, <laughs> a pattern, a pattern, a behavior but, pattern. But I thought it was over but I was with you. Like, what the, here's what happened with me. Here's what I, I don't know if it was a particularly good night. I didn't love going there, but I felt like I had to, you know, because like I needed this uh, stage time and I like doing all rooms and whatever. But it was never easy to do that room. And my it's like three people. I know, I know, you but, know yeah, I mean? but I'm crazy. So like. So when I saw you up there, having done comedy in San Francisco for a couple of years, I, I sort of knew that riff style. And I just felt like, you know, you were over performing for the situation. Yeah. And I thought like, well, that's a fairly ungracious host just yeah. to, to, to just deplete the room of all its energy by putting too much energy. Whatever. I'm not I'm a crazy. Good host. I'm I didn't not say a you good were. Host. No, you were terrible. I'm, I'm, never, I'm never like, you know what I want to get into? No, hosting. No, no, you were my calling. I Host. thought, I thought what I think at the moment, what I felt was that, uh, you were, it was wrong given the backstory that you were, uh, 
you know, just sort of not caring about the hosting yeah. and just fucking blowing out the room and then bringing I people I didn't even up. realize I was, I'm I mean, that's how anymore. you perceived it, of blowing out the room. I was probably nervous and high and I'm like grabbing, and I'm new to LA and I'm grabbing at straws to make hosting work. I don't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. So my nervous energy is to get loud and, and like, and ah! You know right, what I mean? Because right, I'm, right. I'm scared. And it's, I probably, it's primal fear. I probably thought you were but like, you know, I don't uh, know, cocky fuck you guy. No. I will. I'm like a cocky, like a dice clay kind of guy. No, no, like, no. I'm like, sort of hey, like, fuck you, man. Not like that, but sort of like, you know, yeah, I'm the shit. I'm the new yeah. guy. This is what this is what comedy looks like now. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I wish, know. I wish I had the confidence. <laughs> this is what comedy looks like now. Three people at the fucking Hollywood bar and grill at 5 p.m. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fucking crazy. But I didn't. Even, I really didn't even mind that. It was the aftermath that you're going around to other comedy shows talking shit. Well, about it sounded like, like it was probably the day dude, after. Maybe the day. Yeah, but I didn't know. So my mind leads yeah, me yeah, to yeah. think that you're going around town telling people that I'm shit. So yeah. I'm just like, what the fucking. Well, and I mean, it was. And there was this culture of. There was this snobby, pretentious. The thing that sucks about this hipster generation is this pretentious eye-rolly snobby snarky shit snarky yeah, I don't shit like it. I don't that like comes that with it so there was this just when i when i started out doing comedy i did my first year in boston then i, then I moved to new york city there was this whole group of comedians and i was like young and naive i was 20 years old when i started i was 21 when i moved to new york and yeah. like there I was like, oh, comedians are so smart and funny. It's going to be a fun group of people to <laughs> hang out with. I have a career with. I'm 20. You know, I was yeah, a kid. Yeah. So I was like, and then I was so bummed out when I first moved to New York. I was like, they're so mean. And not all of them, but like there was enough mean curmudgeon, pretentious, like, wet noodle handshake, like no eye contact handshake. The club guys or the alt guys? Both. <laughs> both full force full force and the, the alt guys it was even more of a shock i was like i thought you're supposed to be the counter to this to what you perceive as the jocks you're yeah. acting like more of the jocks than right. the jocks yeah and we were all nerds in fucking high school we all got beat up like yeah. why don't we come together on that why is everybody being a high school clicky dick yeah so it was it was not only that you what it roasted me at the hollywood bar and grill but also that you were talking shit about me at other shows, and then I was surrounded by this culture of snobbery and clickiness and eye-rolly shit. It was just like, oh, uh, it was so hard. Plus, I was just going through my own... Insanity? Insanity, just moving to LA. Yeah, I, well, I, I, so I was I, just I, like, what the fuck did I do? Nothing. I, 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 I apologize, <laughs> and I felt, and it, it bothered me for a long time because like, I didn't know really what to do, and, I, and there was one point where I reached out to you to talk and you're like no i mean like you didn't respond to me why would you i understand and then i think we had a break in the tension a year or so ago at that book comic book place yeah at book fair i saw you with some dude but like i just wanted it to be over because i knew yeah. that it had made an impression and i knew that i had uh like it was just me being a dumb old cranky bastard being judgmental <laughs> And I knew you were good and you were funny and you were doing interesting things, but you annoyed me. What am I going to do? Did I, what, did you, what? That's never happened to you before? No, no, no but I, no if, I, if I'm annoyed by a comic, I wouldn't go on after him and be like, hey, fuck that last guy, right? Unless he was saying something so offensive. Unless he was like in blackface 
and like I didn't passing know, out, you know, I didn't neo-Nazi know. literature I after the show. No, and you're right. Like, I, I, I don't, just like you stomach so many horrid comics when you come, especially like you started on Boston too, right? I did. for Yeah. Yeah, I did actually. There were lunatics in Boston when I started sure. in Boston. Well, let's, let's go back. Let me just finish this. I think what it was, it hit, it hit a trigger with me only because having been in San Francisco yeah. and having, you know, sort of known Warren Thomas and Greg Proops and probably guys you don't even know, that there was this type of like improvising that, you know, when it, it was done really well, it's great to watch. But I just thought like, what is he doing up there? Yeah. It was like that. Yeah. Like, he's just doing that, like, ooh, look at this, a mic stand. I got it on my head now. Right, I, right. And there's no substance. Yeah, and there's, just, there's no writing. It's just, like, it's a trick. flailing around. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Which is Which fine. I don't like either. <laughs> I would have probably watched my set. I'd be like, yeah, that was shit. I'm on a Xanax. I'm drinking wine. I'm hosting a fucking 6 o'clock show at an Italian restaurant. What's that? It wasn't at 6 o'clock. Or whatever. I'm, I'm speaking hyperbolically. I'm, yeah. I'm embellishing. <laughs> it wasn't 6 o'clock. That's your point. <laughs> it was at 8. It was at 8 or 9. Um why did you why did you carry that with you into bar lube like other shows because i decided that that I, was, uh, that I was the devil not the devil but like you decided that, that was my whole act yeah i made you know it wasn't you saw that like five minutes i wasn't out to get you yeah but like it stuck with me that i i thought there was something um grandstanding and and fucked up about it <laughs> So it really bothered you that much. That, yeah, because I'm a little crazy. I'm less crazy. Yeah. It wouldn't happen today. Why did you get why did you get a lot better? Through success or through therapy? No, not through therapy. I I think what happened was over time the success of the show. Maybe a little well that certainly helped me in a lot it's of ways. Help. Yeah, but but I still get crazy. You know, but you know, but you I seem a lot healthier. But I keep it to myself. And at that time, you know, I don't know where I was with my life or my relationship. I was mad at the situation. I had my own fears about going on stage. Or I didn't know why, because it was always a struggle. Because like I have found that a lot of times with alt audiences, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're just they're judgmental. They don't they don't necessarily know what good comedy is. Yeah, and, everything you know, feels like an inside joke or something. Yeah, I, or it's it, a which clicky. is I know how to do it, but that like. It was just that night and something just stuck with me. Uh-huh. And then like, even like, um, but because Sam Varela used to work for me. Uh-huh. You know Sam? Yeah. And she loved you and, and she would be like, I think you're, you know, you're wrong about him. I'm like, I don't know. Just based on that one set. I just wish that, you saw me do like a regular set. But I know. Oh. It was a six o'clock show at an Italian restaurant. I wish you had just whatever. seen, if you saw my set a bunch <laughs> And you had that attitude that would it, it wouldn't have been great, but it still would have been better. It was so unfair. It was Is unfair. It, okay, it's unfair okay. to judge somebody's set well, I, of hosting okay. a show. Okay, I never just like, all right. If you had to host. All right, you're right. But if you're, you're right. doing your if you were doing your set or not even their set because some people are working on material and, and it can be awful. Yeah. But if you saw my special, yeah. If I put out a special and I just had the microphone on top of my head and I was going, well, yeah, yeah, then fucking by all means you could you no, could adjust that i agree i you know and i you know and i you know I'm, I'm, i thought it was unfair i thought it was unfair why well, yeah you're gonna forgive me or what are we yeah i'll forgive you it was, i was wrong, I was <laughs> like wrong. Fucking... you're gonna forgive me or what you fucking asshole <laughs> yeah 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 i'm sorry i don't okay, want any like, problems are we gonna talk for 10 minutes or are you gonna be like just wait a minute so i'm on a xanax <laughs> you know i was on a well, xanax. it affected me it was the last straw it was like the final it wasn't like that one thing. It was like this culture of oh, I was the I was the tipping point. You were the tipping point. Mm. Well, let's go back then. So where where'd you grow up? 
Florida, Boca Raton, Florida. Really? My mom lives in Hollywood. Yeah, that's very close. M- yeah, my uh, yeah, really, Boca. Boca Raton. Like your whole family's there. Yeah, Boynton, Delray Beach. Yeah, but what? I grew up in Boca. No shit. You have yeah. brothers and sisters. Older sister. And that's it. Yeah. And you're like, what's your background? My dad's from Haiti. Really from Haiti? Really from Haiti. My dad's name is Pierre Andre. (laughs) (laughs) English is his fourth language. (laughs) Really? Yeah. What are the other three? French? Creole, French, Spanish, and English. Can you speak all those? No. He didn't teach me a goddamn thing. Nothing? No. Why? He's like, you spoke to me in English. I would speak back in English. I was like, you're a fucking asshole. You could have teach, like, you're supposed to teach a kid... Languages when they're young, so it's oh, yeah, you know, you that's when their brains developing. And he's like, I don't know. Was it? Um, so. Did he have a Haitian accent? My dad has a thick Haitian accent. Yeah. Did he's you like, grow up? Oh, you crazy? Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. And my a- my mom, my dad's from Haiti. My mom's a Jew from New York. Really? Like yeah. a like a Jewish Jew? Like a Jewish Ashkenazi <laughs> Jew? I, I have a joke where I say my dad looks like Arthur Ashe and my mom looks like Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> she grew up Upper West Side. Yeah, in like the forties. Yeah, before there were suburbs and highways, so it was like uh-huh. working class families in Manhattan, and uh, she lived in Manhattan, Bronx, Jersey. Really? And uh, yeah. And then, so you have Jewish uh, grandparents? Jewish grandparents. Who? Where are they in Jersey? Are they around? Somewhere? Oh no, they're dead. I oh, had. Dead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's dead. Everyone's but, dead. No, mom and dad are alive. Okay. But like, uh, my grandma died uh, when I was eighteen, and my grandpa died when I was two. But Fuck, uh, like, Florida's nuts, man. Sucks. But it's, it's the worst. I hated. I grew up. But like I've that. grown as again. You know, around the same time that I started to evolve over our problem, mm-hmm. you grow as a human. Mm-hmm. I've grown to appreciate Florida for how much it sucks in a very specific way. Yeah, there's no place like it ever anywhere. It's the weirdest fucking place I I've th- ever been in my life. I think culture kind of stops around Atlanta <laughs> and then just like this like runoff this like fucking yeah, poison yeah, the people, drips I, down I used to say they're either at the end of their life or the end of their rope they're it's like it's a fucking it's a it's a bummer it's like yeah it's either God's waiting room just elderly people waiting to die it's just crazy or like, George Zimmerman fucking lunatics and then all the fucking Latin people yeah. From all over the Latin world. Yeah. Like, you know, you go to Miami, it's like this, and then there's fucking red. Well, that, that, I mean, I like Cuban people. You know? Yeah. I, I like that Cuban coffee a lot. Oh, me too. But like this weird sort of mixture of like kind of white, you know, rednecky types. It attracts a lot of different lunatics for different yeah, reasons. Yeah, for the weather, I guess. For the weather. And then like uh, where my mom lives, you got a, German snowbirds that come down. It's a state built on weather. Yeah. Yeah. This is too kind of. It's also very cheap. Is it? I California's so. expensive. Florida's cheap. So what did you do? Were you just like you know chomping? Uh, ch- what did they? Chomping at the bit to get the fuck out of Florida. To get the fuck out of there. What were you doing as a kid? Though were you like play a... the Hollywood Gulch, the Gower <laughs> where you took a Xanax and drank some wine and some old bitter comic, some bitter Jew, <laughs> just rained on your goddamn Hollywood parade. It was the last straw. <laughs> well, you know your... what was also awkward doing that movie we did. Well, we were still mad at each other. Yeah, yeah, it felt bad. No, you seemed, you seemed. I was over it. You were not over it. Yeah, you were still like you seemed like you were trying to extend the olive. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't have it. More needed to be done. I need to humble myself somehow. (laughs) You weren't, you weren't having it, and that, and that, that movie is the equivalent of the Gower Gold. (laughs) (laughs) Gower Gold's the movie. (laughs) It's the Gower Gulch of movies. Yeah, it really is. I remember talking, like, I don't even, like, is it out? 
I don't know. I just no, really like. I know no one's taking ownership. No, no. It's like, it's like somebody this, brings it up. I just like walk through the question. It's like this weird, shameful event we were all part of. That it's we, gonna be. It's gonna surface. Somebody least. said I was funny, and then I had one funny beat. I mean, isn't that the best you can do? Oh God, I can't even. Uh, I don't want to talk too much shit. I'm friends with this guy. But it's like, funny, yeah. but like, I was trying to figure out because I watched a couple episodes of the new season, which I like. And I like for specific reasons. I'm actually that we'll surprised get to. that you like it, dude. I have a very open mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's this one time at 6 p.m. specifically, yeah. <laughs> my mind closed. Yeah, your mind I'd closed. Had, I'd had enough. My mind was closed for business. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, but, cool. No, but uh, but like, what kind of what what were you doing? What kind of kid were you? Were you a skateboard kid? Were you like a you know kicking, uh, getting your ass kicked? Were you a smart kid? I was a problem. I was. Uh, I got good grades. I got straight A's, but I was always acting out in class, very hyper, and like uh, I would get straight A's in the for my grades and then I would yeah. get straight F's in conduct because I was really getting detentions and oh, like really? acting out to get girls attention sure. and like make my friends laugh and right. class clown and stuff like that like yeah, like yeah. just like riffing on the desk and stuff riffing on the desk mm -hmm. I would take the microphone stand and put it on my head and do a lot of like, like San Francisco <laughs> style improv <laughs> no I was just fucking hyper yeah and were uh, you clinically hyper did you need medicine no no none of that shit but, but were um, you like but you got straight A's, so your parents were cool with you but you were still kind of a problem or what yeah i was a problem in middle school and high school but it just like i just get in trouble a lot in class but yeah. i went to was always in public school yeah but i was in gifted yeah. so i was a nerd right so i i and i sucked at sports and i couldn't skateboard or do anything cool uh -huh. Uh, I was kind of like awkward and nerdy. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I looked like Steve Urkel from yeah. like first grade to <laughs> right. all through college. Yeah. And like, you know, once I started passing puberty, I'm a Jew, so my nose was like twice the size of my head <laughs> and my ears. Like, I look like the cartoons that Hitler would draw. The you know the, the Nazis would draw. To, like, except with an afro. Yeah, except with an afro. <laughs> um, and the and then I went to. Uh, I went to this really shitty, bad, racist school in ninth grade that was kind of like that John Singleton movie, Higher Learning, but yeah. in like real life, uh, because I was in the pre-IB program. There's a, uh, it's called International Baccalaureate Program. It was like the nerds of the nerds, like yeah. the gifted, gifted kids would be in this what was your particular, college prep kind of program. What was your particular gift? Well, I got out of that school. I was in that school for a year. But were you math or were you? What? I was good at math, but I went into an arts high school, uh, magnets arts program the next year because that school was so bad and I wasn't doing that well. And the, the teachers were miserable and the administration was racist and the kids were racist against each other. It was very segregated. White yeah. kids and black kids just hated each other. And I got like rocks thrown on my head. It was so miserable oh my there. God. And then in 10th grade, I got accepted to this magnets arts high school. Yeah for cello and upright bass and then it was like night and day it was like fame everybody was like super there were no jocks everyone was super nice no not a lot of racism and uh, gay I, I met the first gay person you know what i mean like yeah. the, for the first kids that come out of the closet the earliest they yeah. had there and stuff like that so i really had both ends of the spectrum have you been playing music your whole life i've been playing music my whole life i was playing piano since i was five really and, uh, yeah i don't play anymore 
Real. I, I, have a, I have a use, and then I went to Berkeley College of Music Get in Boston. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, for upright bass, and I have a useless music degree. You you went to Berkeley for the whole time? Yeah, the whole time for upright bass. And you can play like like jazz bass? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I studied. But you can also play with a bow? With a bow, Arco, yeah. And you can read music? Yeah. And you just decided to do this other bullshit with your life? Comedy. Well, when I entered college, Napster. But like, were you a prodigy? I wasn't like Charles Mingus or right. something. <laughs> I could play, but I wasn't like... Right, right. I always got bored. I would always cheat on different instruments. I would always like. I was like, oh, I'd really, be really into the drums for two years. Then I'd be like, eh. and then I like played tuba in sixth grade. And then I played like, tuba. I played tuba Your drums. Rent you a tuba. I'd rent a tuba. <laughs> an old rusty fucking sludgy tuba. What, where the fuck do you play tuba? Were you in the marching band? I was just in the band. Band. We didn't march. We just <laughs> sat around. <laughs> yeah, tuba was fun. But you always gravitated towards bass. Nah. Yeah, maybe I did. You I like don't the know. low end. I guess, but now if I could do it again, I'd do trumpet or like uh, saxophone or something. I don't know, but I like piano. Piano's the whole range. Drums, there's no yeah, pitch. That's right. I liked, I liked, I wanted to like chip away at a little bit of everything. I like guitar too. I, I wanted to chip away at a little bit of everything so I could kind of understand. You know what I just got into just yesterday? Mm. That's what's amazing about the world we live into. Mm. Live in, I've been buying records again, you know? Mm -hmm. Just fucking got my mind blown by Roland Kirk. Mm. Holy shit. Yeah, he's awesome. Shit. He could circular breathe too. There's circular breathe, but the food album before he added Rashawn Roland Kirk to his oh, name. Oh no, I don't know. There's like just a, it's all jazz flute. Oh he's yeah, like he's like he's circular breathing, but he's like <laughs> he's mumbling and yeah, he's and, like a virtuoso. But like the flute, like I never really like took it in. I mean, like I grew up with you know having to listen to Jethro Tull at different points. In yeah, my yeah, life, yeah. But I never knew the flute could fucking be such yeah. a big dick instrument. Like, yeah, like, he just no, you should listen to uh, er Eric Dolphy. That's what someone else said. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Eric Dolphy get get an album called Out to Lunch. Are that's you a jazz best. guy? Yeah, that's what I studied. I was like a big jazz yeah. dork. But it's fucking dead, man. It's no, dead. It's not, man. Don't tell it's Kamasi dead, Washington. Dead, baby. Did you get the Kamasi at <laughs> Washington record? No, I don't know the new guys. I just listen to like stuff he in the really, 60s. His first his... record called Epic is three records. He means fucking business. I got to listen to it. You got to look at him to sure. know it. Yeah. Okay. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He's the guy that plays. He did. He was on uh, the Kendrick Lamar record, the big one. Oh, uh-huh. He did some of the. Yeah, I got to check him out. I'm friends with Thundercat, who helped produce that. Yeah, he's a fucking monster yeah, he's bass a monster, player. Monster bass I went player. to see. Uh, I went to see Kamasi over here at uh, the whatever thing. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it called? The the, the arena <laughs> named after a camera something. Uh, Nokia. Oh, right, so uh -huh. the Nokia Center. <laughs> Isn't that a camera? Yeah. It is. So, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not good at the San Francisco riff thing. Yeah, he's at Let the me put camera. This microphone on my head. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, but Thundercat was that a thing in San Francisco? Ooh. The riffing. What's, what, what was it? it? Give me like a little taste. It was like Robin. There was Williams. not a lot of substance. It was just like no, no, no. It was just an improv. It was just really just fast paced improv. Uh -huh. You know, it was like what created Robin Williams style. Mm -hmm. That sort of like. And you resented Robin Williams. No, no, I didn't resent Robin Williams. What it really struck that the chord that struck with me was Warren Thomas, who's passed. And there was no way. Is Warren could... Thomas? Did he die? Yes. Am I, am I thinking he's an older black guy? Yeah, he's not he, that. He didn't die that old, but he died. Uh, from HIV, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him like his the last week he was alive. Right. I and met like, him. And I met him, and then they were like, "Hey, you know that guy you met last week? He died." I was like, "What, what the fuck?" But I didn't he, know him that well. Right. Well, it was like he was one of the 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 inventors. Him and Steve. and you hated him. No, I loved him. 
Oh, you did? Yeah, so I thought you were hacking him. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you love those. You love Proops and Warren Thomas. Sure. But you saw me and you were... I was like, this guy's just doing them. And they were already <laughs> doing somebody else. They were doing Steve Pearl. Like, I know, I know the history. I know the history. Steve Pearl, I don't know. Well, no, no, no one knows Steve Pearl. Who's I know Steve him. Pearl? Steve Pearl was this, uh, this genius uh, improvising comic in San Francisco in the late 70s at the Holy City Zoo. And he was like just this monster stream of consciousness guy mm. and all those other guys robin and they try to emulate him but yes. they didn't quite he well well no, you had they, to have that they out, mind they sort of took it a different place mm. no i think proofs has that mind i actually met you before the gary gulch now that i'm thinking about it we met at the aspen comedy festival 2007 Holy and shit. you hosted um an, a an alt thing no what i don't even think it was an alt thing it was just like uh Oh my God! You hosted, and the comic that went on right before me was like having a really hard time. And then you, were oh, like, I remember. And you were like, "Hey, you want me?" To, he was like having a panic attack. And then yeah. you were like, "Hey, do you want me to uh, do a few minutes and get them back?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And you seemed very cordial. Yeah, and, yeah, I remember. Right, so we had a civil. Yeah, yeah, it was totally yeah. civil. Our first meeting was very civil. Yeah, I, well, I asked you about the first. I was like, "When's the first time you did comedy?" And you were like, "83 in Boston." I was like, "Oh, I went to school in Boston." But it was very civil. Was it 83? Wow. You're right. I think that's what you said. Holy shit. Yeah. Right, because who was that guy who went on there? He was all sweating. And, who was oh, Fork. He's, he's a nice guy. I don't want to talk one? too much shit about him. No, no, no. Him. Which one was it, though, so I can remember? And he's a very, very successful guy now. Was, What's his name? Uh, John Mulaney. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. remember. Yeah, I felt bad because he, he went was on like, and he had a, like a panic. And I've, trust, I've had panic attacks on well, television. But it was so. an altitude thing. It was an altitude thing. Yeah, he had to have the oxygen yeah, yeah. mask. Yeah, it's yeah. Horrible. He was like, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. See, yeah. I liked you then, and I didn't remember you. One yeah, day. you're very sweet. Yeah. But I think, I think you were married then. Yes, that was the end of it. And I think because I, I think I met your wife, Mishna. That was she was end. like a foxy, like yeah. But like that was the night I did the the storytelling show, and I told that horrible story about the fight we got into, and then she got mad at me. That was like the end, beginning of the end of my marriage. That trip. Oh, really? Oh, she was fucking livid. Ah, uh, see, and then I think I saw you at the Garrett Gulch days. You were going through a divorce, right? Because I remember I saw you at UCB and you were like yeah, unraveling yeah. on stage. <laughs> like you weren't really telling jokes. You were just like spewing dark yeah. poetry. Yeah, that's it. For half an hour. Yeah, and then I was hour. like, fuck this guy. He's not telling jokes. Where's the microphone? Put the microphone stand on his head ASAP. <laughs> no, but it was like dark. It was dark. You were in a dark place. Yes. You were brooding. Yes, bad. Yeah, I you were like Edgar I, Allan Poe on yeah, stage. Yeah, I didn't know how to process it. All, yeah, all I had was the Raven. But why don't you thank therapy? You don't think therapy helps? No, no, I don't think I don't have any problem with therapy. I, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with therapy. I, I've gone to therapy at different points in my life. Definitely, it helps. But I, didn't at the top of the conversation you're like, nah, nah, therapy didn't help me. It was well because like I don't, I don't really attribute it as helping me in that way. Like I still think like experience and my like I know myself well enough to know that I'm not fucking normal. I've got problems with relationships. I've got emotional problems. I know where they come from. The, I know what does they it come are. from your your childhood? Is it like parents stuff? Is it yeah? It's, it has to do with relationship like, with your sure, dad with your sure. mom. Yeah, both you. Dad more than mom. Mom was good. Dad was very like aloof. Oh, really? Detached, absent, detached, absent. Workaholic, psychiatrist. Okay, but oh, really? And raised in a very, very chauvinist nineteen forties Haiti culture where the men do not do the child raising. Right. So his dad was 
Compared to his father, he was an angel because his dad was completely absent. Did they get out of Haiti because shit went bad? Because of Duvalier, because yeah. of Papa Doc, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they got out under the wire, I My guess. My dad left Haiti with 80 bucks in his pocket, speaking no English, moved to New York City, you know, in like an apartment with like 50 other Haitians. Right. And um, was and like doing like messenger service shit. Like no just shit. Like, you know, biking around. And he put himself well, through medical school and everything? And then, yeah, and then- <clears throat> He met my mom at a rent strike in um, uh, 1970, 71. And they were both living in this apartment building that was shitty and falling apart. And um, he kept asking my mom, he was like, oh, can you teach me English? Like, I need an English tutor. But he was just like kicking it to my mom. And my mom mom had dated a bunch of African guys in college. And she was like, I just want to date an American guy. There was all all these, I think, Nigerian guys coming to university of, she went to uh, school in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. She's from New York, but went to college in Wisconsin. And she dated, and she's like, me and my friend Davida were the only two white women that would date these African guys. And like, I dated like five African guys. So when I got back to New York, I didn't want to date, I wanted to date an American. And then my dad kept kicking it to her and then she caved and then they dated for eight, 10 months and then got married for 25 years. Then they got divorced when I was like 12. 12? Yeah. Oh, so they were divorced. That's pretty, that's a bad time, 12. It's not a good time. And he's detached, but he's a detached. He's a doctor. He's a doctor and he's very, not good at communicating. It's funny, he's a psychiatrist. Because he's not the best with communicating with his family. That's always the way. My dad was a doctor. He was a surgeon. Oh, really? My parents were very self-involved, lacked uh, boundaries. My dad was a little volatile at times. Like, you know, I can track all like that Like abusive? Stuff. Not really abusive, just erratic. He had, you know, bipolar a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he wasn't around much. But when he was Where, did around- Did you grow up in Boston? Albuquerque. Albuquerque, New Mexico? Yeah. yeah. Did you get along with mom and dad? No, yeah. You They're, buried the hatchet? Yeah, they're not mean people. They're just annoying. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'd say my dad. My dad's not... That's the problem. My dad's not a dick. Yeah. He's just detached. He's removed. And and if you confront him, he just kind of mumbles his way out of it and... Oh, yeah? Changes the subject. Well, that's... Half pays attention and you're just like, (laughs) Dad, you didn't come to my high school graduation. That affected me. Yeah. You didn't come to soccer practice ever. Yeah. That affected me. You're a psychiatrist. Yeah. You should know how that's going to affect your child. Oh, yeah. and that Your dad did it to you. And you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't pass that shittiness on to your kid. And he'll just be like, I had to bring home the bacon. And oh, he'll get right. defensive. And then, and then he'll kind of slowly space out and turn on CNN and then start talking about politics. And you're just like, Ugh, there's no... So yeah, so you had to carry that. The you had to sort of get it for yourself. That's the fucked up thing about it. Is like you're not getting that feedback. You're not getting that support. You're not getting yeah. that love. I think for a boy too. Yeah, he needs the yeah. male. Well, you're lucky because you know. my dad was at. He was at my college graduation. He was crying, um, and got lost, and he's threatening really? to jump off a bridge somewhere. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's exciting. Like literally, I was. In my, my dad came to my college graduation. I will, I will give him that. He didn't come to my sister's high school or college graduation. He didn't come to my high school graduation, but he came to my college graduation. And guess who the fucking guest speaker was? Who? Bill Cosby. Was Bro, the fucking, shit. And I have an autographed Bill Cosby yeah. record. Yeah. I was like, should I burn this or should I? Um, it's very keep hard. It forever. It was very hard to separate the 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 Bill Cosby we grew up with, and it's you it's it's no longer a question, but it's fucked up. It's fucked. 
But Woody yeah, but, Allen too. Do you think Woody Allen jerked off his kids? I, I, it seems like he did something. But I, you know, it's like again, you know, like I don't bummer, man. People are fucked. Everybody's fucked. They are fucked, and that's a those those two specific ways of being fucked are really fucked. I mean, I'm. I'm I heard that Gandhi. This is fucking crazy, Gandhi. Mm. Mahatma Gandhi. I know. You know him well personally. Not not a great comic. (laughs) Not a great comic. (laughs) But I heard that his wife was dying of some disease, and for some reason he talked her out of taking this medicine i guess yeah. for religious reasons or something like that and she died and then he contracted the same disease years later and he took the medicine he told his wife not to take and then he lived and he took a vow of celibacy even with his wife and he had like uh 14 year old girls like bathe him every morning he was like oh i don't have sex i don't have sex but yeah. i will have a group of 14 year old girls like bathe me every morning so sounded like he rode the line a little so bit. i feel like even gandhi Hey, look, people are not excusing yeah. Woody Allen or, or Bill Cosby's fucking sorcery, but sure. even the most, what we perceive to be the most altruistic fucking Buddhas. Yeah. Flawed. Still a flaws. Morally flawed. Morally flawed. It's a bummer. So how do you go from fucking bass playing to comedy? When I first got to college, Napster came out and, uh, and everybody had a CD burner in their laptop and the, um, music industry disintegrated like, right. right when I got to music school. Right. It just like imploded. Right. And like Geffen and Capitol Records, these huge, you know, mo- oh, yeah, not mogul, but like huge companies were folding and Tower Records right. folded and Virgin Megastore right. folded. It was like, huh. So I was like, hmm, that's not good. And I would see incredible musicians struggle and live in poverty their whole life and then horrible musicians make millions of dollars it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to it but then so you were assessing the business possibility I was assessing it and and my band i was in a band jazz no it was like frank zappa everything kind of music it was like beastie boys frank zappa how they do like a little bit of everything like zappa fan huge zappa fan love zappa it's like a requirement for going to Berkeley College of Music that you listen to Zappa. <laughs> um, well, basically, music industry falling apart, and my band was doing, my band was called Blarf, and we were doing shows all around Boston. Yeah. At like All Asia and Cambridge and all these like shitty bars. Right. And I would always see like, open my comedy night, open my comedy night flyers for comedy nights in, um, at the venues I was playing, and I was like, you know what, I should try, I was like 19, 20 years old, I was like, I should fucking try that, let me just, uh, like, I have all these ideas for bits, I was just like, kind of did it on a whim. Were you watching comedy at the time? Did I, was, you... I was watching, not a lot of live comedy, but more. Like, who are the people you're watching? And you know what, I wasn't watching, <clears throat> I was influenced more by TV shows than stand-ups, like, I loved Ren and Stimpy, and Beavis and Butthead, yeah. and Mystery Science Theater 3000, and, uh... Space Ghost. Right. Um, but I also, Ollie G Show and Chappelle Show were on TV when I was in college and I fucking loved those guys. Yeah. Um, uh, and I love Chris Farley and. Um, right. Uh, but not stand up specifically. I love stand up too. I love stand up right. too, but I, I wasn't as versed in stand up when I started doing stand up. Well, you like high as... concept shit too, it seems. You like you like animation and. Yeah, shit I love like off. the absurd, like Space Ghost. I was obsessed with Space Ghost. Like yeah. How yeah. absurd. How absurd, the absurdity of space goes. So, um, yeah, I just started doing comedy. As soon as I started doing it, I fell in love with it. Where'd you go first? I went to uh, God Dicks and 
was it Dick Remington's? What was yeah, the bar? Dick Doherty's. Dick Doherty's and yeah. Nick's Comedy Stop. Nick comedy Stop. And uh, Regular Room. Comedy Connection. Yeah. And there was this one out in Dorchester called the Emerald Isle. I don't know that. <clears throat> it was a shitty little bar. It, was, it wasn't a comedy club. There's Emerald a, Isle. There's a mic? Asia. It was an open mic. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, God, what else? All Asia, which was a bar in Cambridge. and, and Was the Comedy Studio there yet? Yes, Comedy Studio. That was um, the first place I ever bombed. Because Rick Jenkins' fir- place? Rick Jenkins. Yeah. And he would spit on me when he would talk. And he would give me such shit for eating the light, even if I was like 30 seconds over. But I would do... The, the, it was the first time I bombed because it was the first time... The first four times I did stand-up comedy, I invited all my friends. You know what I mean? I was like 20. So I was yeah. like, oh, you got to come. And of course, you're not going to bomb when like 40 of your friends are there. Yeah. Like, Yeah. yeah. That comedy studio was the first time I didn't invite my friends, and I yeah. went up with the same confidence and swagger, and I just fucking ate shit so bad. And I was like, I remember going into like fight or flight response, and like every all the light was like really bright, like yeah, I yeah. couldn't see anything. Yeah. It was like in yeah. this void cloud, and I was like, holy shit! It was like traumatic. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know, all alone when, up there in front of people. It's a fucking. It's like being you know. It's like when the swimming instructor throws you in the pool to learn how to swim when yeah. you're a little kid and you drown for those like first 30 <laughs> seconds you're literally like can't breathe it's like yeah. that's what it felt like um and it felt like that for like the next 10 years of doing stand-up <laughs> i was like just fucking traumatized and terrified but uh i realized that comedy it feels like it it pays off much more than music i knew i wanted to be in entertainment and to perform and i felt like if i got really good at comedy i would get some type of work somehow versus really good at upright bass or jazz, I would have been scraping by the rest of my life and playing cocktail gigs and weddings. But did you feel like, with even with Blarf or whatever the band was called, did Blarf. you feel that you were creatively servicing yourself? Was there, because it seems to me that you have a, it's not like you're going the easy way. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not just a business decision. I mean, you had to be at some, uh, on some level, had some creative, like, uh, shit to work out. Mm-hmm. Like you wanted to express yourself, mm-hmm. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. I feel like a little bit of what performers have, what I have, is like that feeling where you don't really feel like you fit in everywhere, so you want to perform to express yourself so people understand you and love you right. kind of so thing. Right, so you can find yourself. Yeah. Like, this is, my, this is my territory here, right. is what I do. Because Florida, growing up in Florida, it was so segregated and racist and anti-Semitic and anti-Haitian. People hated Haitians. There was this influx of Haitians coming in in the 90s, and yeah. everybody fucking hated Haitians, and being called a Haitian was an insult, and I'd be like, fuck you, I'm Haitian, and people would be like, oh, you're not like the Haitians I know. Right, yeah. I'd be like, well, fuck you, you know what I mean? So like outsider. I yeah, I felt like Yeah. Blah blah blah. It's every comedian comedian's plight. I don't want to be like No, no, but I mean it, me, but. but it makes sense because I like the idea of that. Because I, I don't know if I ever got into it to be an entertainer. I really kind of wanted to find my voice. Figure I out think what there's the that too. I don't yeah. think it was so academic, like I want to get into entertainment. I wasn't like I was just like I I you I got that urge was inside me. Yeah, I had yeah. to do something. Well, yeah. what was it? Where where were you working? Were you making any money doing stand up? Were you working jobs? No, I was broke. So that was in college, and then I went to New York the next year, and I was doing stand up every night, and just where just open mics, and open mics, and just like bringer shows and passing out flyers in the snow for five minutes of comedy, right? For, for like five minutes of unpaid at work ha. at. And ha, and just all the miserable 
It's fucking miserable. Yeah. So. But you were in it. You were committed. I was committed, and I was just working awful jobs, temping. I worked at a doggy daycare place and got fired immediately. I got sick all the time and bit by all the dogs. I was fucking miserable and screaming yeah. by. And then, like, I would start booking commercials, and that was, like, I, I could kind of live off that. That would be peaks and valleys. Like, I'd right. book, like, a fucking you know, whatever Budweiser commercial and like I'd have money for six months and I'd be doing okay and I'd just be doing stand-up and then I'd run out of money and be miserable again. But And what were your parents saying during all this? My mom has always been super supportive. My dad, it took him a while to come around, but now he's fully on board. Yeah. Um, even before Eric Andre's show, he just saw how stubborn and determined I was and like, I remember he wanted me to, when I first moved to New York, he's a doctor. So he's like, you should go to med school. You should go to law school. You should go to med school. You should go to law school. And yeah. he was like, you should study for the LSATs. Just take the LSATs. I'll, 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 I'll pay for a tutor for you if you take the LSATs. I was like, okay. And in my 21 year old brain, I was like, maybe I can be a lawyer and a comedian at the same time yeah. and like <laughs> practice law during the day and go out at night. It was like insane. So I remember studying for the, studying with this LSAT tutor and, uh, for months and then, Walk, taking the train out to Flatbush at some college out in deep in Brooklyn and um, about to take the LSAT and the, the teacher was like, uh, you know, this is your last chance to go to the bathroom or something like that. Or like, get, pick up your pencil, make sure it's sharpened. It was like the last chance. I'm about to start the LSAT. And I looked down at the Scantron and I broke my pencil in half and I got out and I walked out. I got up, walked out, and went back on the train and just never took the LSAT. I was like, fuck this. I am a comedian. I was like, I'm doing it. I was like, uh, I had this like very like dramatic right. moment. I was just like, I'm not doing anything else except comedy. I don't care if it fucking kills me. I don't care if I'm broke for the rest of my life. I'd rather be broke and happy about what I'm doing. How'd you tell, like, what'd you tell your dad? I think I told him that. And he was like, well, <laughs> I have to come around. Like He's like, you're breaking the pencil and making this dramatic exit. Um, <laughs> Everyone else in the room is like, what's happening? <laughs> like, you stand what's up like, this, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I had a really like, Jerry Maguire kind of moment. But, um, uh, so you, you kick around New York for a while and, wait, and you, make, you do the commercials and stuff, but no real break comedically. No, nothing. And I was the worst actor in the world. And like when I finally got an agent and started auditioning, I was like having a panic attack in every audition. And I was just, uh, well, there, I, I saved up a bunch of money. Not a bunch of money, but I saved up enough money from commercial work before I moved to Los Angeles yeah. eight years ago to um, invest in what was the Eric Andre show yeah. sizzle reel that right. I shot in a, in an abandoned, illegally occupied a bodega in Bushwick. So that was that was brewing then. That was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, that was brewing then. before you went to L.A. Right before I went to L like yeah. months before I was actually going back and forth between New York and LA kind of filming pieces for it and then editing it in LA and I was in LA and I was living off a little bit of commercial money and I totally ran out of money and it took me like a year I had to buy Final Cut for Dummies and teach myself how to edit because um, I couldn't afford an editor and the fucking the sizzle reel was just this hodgepodge of footage yeah. and I had to 
And then I was going out and auditioning and not booking anything to save my life. And I sucked at acting and I had to get my ass into acting classes. And I was just had such bad anxiety and so hard on myself that I like had to get my ass in therapy and I started meditating and that got a lot better. But this was eight years ago? This was about, yeah, seven or eight years ago. What is it, 2016? Yeah. Seven years ago. Um, and then, that's when you moved here permanently. Yeah. And so you're doing that. You got, you did your, you learned how to do final cut. You got these bits and pieces of what was going to be the Eric Andre show pilot ish. Yes. And then I finally got it together and finally got it to adult swim in 2010 and they loved it. And then we shot a pilot in 2011 and then we shot season one, 2012. But I literally, when I found out the email, when I got the email that said that they were going to pick up the show, I had like 200 bucks in my bank account. I was like totally broke. I was like in between unemployment checks. I had like, cause when you fill out unemployment, you have to fill out what you made that week yeah. and not like when the check comes in. So I think I, I like did some temp job thing. Yeah. I don't know. I was just down and out. I was like, and then on top of it, I was like it, eating beans at can by candlelight. Oh, really? The week before. Where were you living? You know, like a hobo, like cracking open a sure. can with so a rock. Sure, you have a little bag on a stick. <laughs> and a bag on a stick. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you just wandered in, you put your bag on a stick down at the Gower I put Gulch. my bag on a stick on my head, and I was doing like a fucking... <laughs> riff style. Warren Thomas <laughs> Warren riff. Warren Thomas riff. <laughs> um, but like, so when you were here in trying to integrate into LA, where, where were you living? You were like literally... I was in a teeny little shithole studio apartment in Hollywood off... Uh, Santa Monica and Vine, and you which didn't is have like friends of Hollywood. I mean, I had comedian friends. Yeah, but, but, but LA is very hard to figure out when you first get here. It's kind of like, yeah, no, it's, it's a worst. odd. It's, it's an odd city. There's no it's center also, to there's it. There's no center. It's sprawled out. You can't really. It's not easy to. When did you get the? What, but you got up to Aspen. Somebody must have seen you do something. Yeah, I um, like you were on the scene. You must have had some representation or something. Yes. I got the representation through Aspen. Oh, you did? I did an audition for Live at Gotham and the woman that booked the Fresh Faces for... Um, that last Aspen thing? That last Aspen. That was the final Aspen, right? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're doing stand-up and you, you could have like... Did you, but you didn't tour much necessarily. You weren't out there doing stand-up on the road. It wasn't your Not... I, I have a whole bunch, but it wasn't since like... Then. Like since no. the show, you mean? Oh, since Eric Andre's show... I have more, but like in, in, in like fits and stuff. Right, right. Not a, like, like Hannibal is out like 300 yeah. dates a, a yeah. year or something He's a insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not on the How'd you meet much. him? We were doing comedy in New York at the same time. Um, we're the same age and he moved from Chicago. Yeah. I moved to New York and then like six months later he moved from Chicago to New York and we were just doing the same chicken shit shows. And you guys all over became town. friends? Yeah, and I just loved how he was, how funny he was, and like how polar opposite in energy he was for me. I was like, <laughs> it was like he'd be the great, it'd be such a good odd couple. He's also gotten more energy as a performer over time. He does, but he was super mellow. I know, when yeah. I, I was super hyper when uh, we met, and he was super mellow when we met. So, um,. Yeah, he just seemed like so. The, the best, conception the of the Eric Andre show, of which I watched uh, the most recent two episodes from the new season. Nice. Is that the one, Stacy Dash? Yes. Okay, cool. And the guy from uh, Thirty Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, what's it McBride? Jack McBrayer. Jack, Jack McBrayer. Yeah. But I get the idea of it. So the idea of originally was to just sort of like go balls to the walls and deconstruct the talk show. 
Yeah, it wasn't that academic. I, I think I just, I liked, I was obsessed with the mock talk show. It's really like a derivative of a derivative because the, the mock talk shows like Jiminy Glick, Space Ghost, Tom Green Show were, were doing that to Johnny Carson. Right. They were deconstructing Johnny Carson. I liked, and Jay Leno, I liked, I just loved those shows. I just loved Jiminy Glick and yeah. Ollie G Show and, 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 and Tom Green Show. The discomfort of it. So like I was a derivative of a derivative, like, right? Um, uh, like when punk music came out, it was like a derivative of rock music. But when hardcore music came out, it was removed from rock music. It was like a derivative of right. punk music. So right. like it, it more it, it came more out of me loving mock talk shows than me. There was hey. still like me watching Jay Leno's monologue and right. being like, "Oh my god, this is like a fucking wreck, yeah, it's a train wreck." Yeah, um, but uh, it came more from my love and appreciation of the mock talk shows and the dysfunction. And you wanted to take it shows. further. I wanted to take it further. Yeah, and um, and just be like the most inept, incompetent talk show host. How would, how did Tim and Eric get involved? We were looking for a production company and Did you uh, like their shit? Yeah, I loved Tim and Eric Awesome Show. I thought it was like it was the first live action show on Adult Swim. Um they were like forced to do com uh, cartoons because yeah. it was Cartoon Network and then when they started doing live action, I was like, Oh my god, thank god it was so cathartic to watch and Tim and Eric were so funny and they yeah. had this like absurd silliness that was like so refreshing. So they were looking to expand their company and like um we were looking for a production company and we we're just like, these guys are the perfect fit. They'll have the crew that gets this kind of, they get the timing of it. They get it. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like hands on EPs on it, but like they're the crew that they have assembled. <clears throat> we share and they are the perfect people for they, the job. They understand the sensibility. Yeah. Cause you don't want to crew up with people. It's such an uphill battle. If you're crewing up with people that don't understand the sensibility, yeah. it's such a specific kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it just it's just it's tough well i like i fucking liked it thanks man i was really I worried it. i think that's why i was sending you trying to send you as much as possible because i was like i hope he sees that there's a mind to it and oh, it's no. not just me with a microphone stand on my no man i like i like tim and eric too i can't explain why but i know they occupy their own universe and that what they're riffing on is multi-layered mm -hmm. and there's a lot of different tiers to it mm -hmm. uh in terms of uh format and mm -hmm. and just timing and pacing and you know you know kind of like goo mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and things like you know there, there's always a lot of food mm -hmm. being you know mashed mm -hmm. <laughs> but like when i was watching your show a couple of things that immediately hit me was uh well the the the, the violence of the comedy not mm -hmm. violent actions but like when something happens on your show it's like yes yeah, yeah, yeah you're like what the fuck yeah yeah like you know every, the pacing of it is like you're just waiting for a god yeah yeah i like it i like it's jarring that. but i also like the fact that for some reason most of the time you have blood coming from something mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bloody show no, but it's just like you're on the street. Even when you're not, you don't have a bone sticking out of your leg. Yeah, there's just a trickle of blood on your head. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For like, what it is gets it? a good reaction. I'll tell you that blood helps. But it's just like you don't acknowledge it. It's not like too much blood. There's just blood. Yeah, we're going for, and we were going for more of like a this like dystopian th uh, theme this season. Yeah, out of the, to differ differentiate between this season and the other seasons. So like. Uh, yeah, we just wanted it more like uh, Eraserhead, Lynchian. Kind oh, really? Of the other yeah. seasons aren't like that? 
the other seasons have an element of that, but um, they like last the season before I permed my hair like Cat Williams and I was more like up and swinging and they had like a kind of a tropical aesthetic on the set so we just wanted the polar opposite this season we want to make it very gray and gloomy and broken and then nothing's that, that permanent Yes, the impermanence of all things. So when it was right, very, and the monologue is there's no real monologue structure. Yeah. It, it, it's just the, the the bare essentials of staging. Yes, yeah. That 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 imply any sort <laughs> of there's order. a monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why this season I grew out my nails and I didn't wear deodorant the whole season and I didn't go out in the sun. I fucking I love the uh, the opening bit with that one where you're just being thrown around on a on a line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and how, but it's one of those situations where do those guests, like, what's her name, Nash? Uh, uh, Stacy Dash. Stacy Dash from Fox News. Yes. And Jack, did they have any idea what they were walking into? No idea. Zero idea what they were walking into. So great. Jack, walk, Jack. But they signed releases before they went yeah, on? Yeah, we, we get the releases before. Um, we've never had a guest. We've had people we pranked in the street pull a release, but we never had a guest pull a release. We had one guest. We've had two guests walk out. We've had only one guest that was like screaming at us and didn't want to, didn't want us to air it, but they didn't ask for the release back, which was weird. So, Did you air it? Oh yeah, that was last year. That was Lauren Conrad. <laughs> this year, Ti walked out, but he he walked out, but he he wasn't like Lauren Conrad. He walked out just he was like, you know what, I've had enough. What, and he was the, very polite and we we're cool afterwards. The rapper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he walked out because he was like, I've seen enough male nudity for one day. <laughs> He's like, I'm at my cap. And we cut it out. I was kind of making fun of Jesus, and I was making fun of pimps and stuff like that. Uh Uh-huh. Like, so I think he just had, he hit his But the segment- He he had like a polite walkout. So we had one polite walkout, and we were cool afterwards. I was like, hey, you know, I'm just being a fucking nut job. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And I could tell he was like, all right. Yeah, yeah. And then, but Lauren Conrad was like- fuck your age. I was like, fuck. Yeah, you know, I drew a swastika on my face during the interview and they were trying to like use that as leverage. The lady was like, I my, I had family members die in the Holocaust. I was like, I I had family members die in the Holocaust. I was like, I'm black and Jewish. Hannibal is black as night. My director is Japanese and Jewish and my producer's name is Joshua Cohen. We're not exactly the Aryan nation. Don't <laughs> act like we're a bunch of neo-Nazis harassing Lauren Conrad, who's the waspiest person in the fucking world. So like, but she didn't walk out because of that. They were just using that as leverage. She walked out because I barfed on the desk and like slurped it back up, and she oh. didn't appreciate that. Yeah. But I was also being nuts, and I had a chainsaw, and I was being nuts all the fucking time. So. But the, but the uh, I don't want to spoil any of it, but it's weird because they're, what are they, 12 minutes apiece? Each episode, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. enough. Yeah. It's quarter, enough. quarter hour, yeah. It's enough. Yeah, it's a punk song. You want it to be short. You don't want minor threat to play a half an hour song. Well, they're not what, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Well, that's why I said to my my uh, my producer, I said, you know, the, the, the effect of it is it's almost like, in a way, that that punk aesthetic of really, because you do, like, kind of stick it up. You, you do speak a certain amount of truth to power, and there is a sort of anarchy to it. But it, it's almost going further than Jackass. Because Jackass seemed like some sort of, initially, like, what kind of boys club bullshit is this? But then you realize, like, oh, these guys don't give a fuck. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they're just going to, you know, go for it. Yeah. That you do that, but it's a little angrier. There's a little less. <laughs> yeah, I think that those guys are the master of 
physical comedy and right those kind of like high 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 stakes stunts where they're yeah like, they're fucking with sharks in the ocean right. and alligators and like but they're really getting hurt as I they're think really getting hurt and it's also a, about their like party ensemble yeah but i think that i've taken elements that i've liked and can actually do because right. i don't have the balls that those guys have right I never fuck with a wild animal like yeah but you that fucking like, thing on the train with the chinese food i, I mean, can fuck with human beings but i wouldn't fuck with animals right <laughs> Because I know how to bob and weave with a human being. Right. I don't know how to bob and weave with a silverback gorilla or an alligator. That thing on the train was funny. How like, <laughs> many, like two or three dudes who had just went at you, just Those sort of like hit you? Pissed. <laughs> we're pissed. They were upset. And it was like the hottest day of the summer, well, so it's like, like boiling in well, the Well, if you're in New York and you're like, what is this shit? <laughs> yeah, this like, isn't real. When it gets hot in New York, your fucking tolerance for bullshit goes way down. And the, the Sprite guy, that was funny. And, that, and McBride, I'm surprised he wasn't angry after. He was like, I didn't know it was a prank show. No, he was not. He was not. He was just like, in the we cut it out in the middle of the interview because we we shoot each one of those interviews for like an hour and a half, right? And we whittle it down to like three minutes, right? So in the middle, he's like, Oh, this is a prank show. <sighs> <laughs> he didn't burp. I added that. I embellished and that. Who was that other woman? I didn't know her. That was she a singer? Or the, uh, the oh, Abby Lee Miller. Yeah who is, she's a dance mom she's a reality oh. show oh god she she knew nothing i mean she showed up and walked up to my first ad and went so what is this like a cartoon or is it, before she walks to the stage she was just in like the hallway you shoot, like, you shoot them here we shoot them in Burbank. We, we shoot the um street stuff in new york right and we shoot the studio stuff in la right but uh yeah i think she's in jail for embezzlement right now oh no yeah, she was having like she was like laundering money. She was having people from Australia send her like Ziploc bags of like hundreds of thousand dollar bills or something. She oh, some weird. crazy. It was so funny how she kept trying to manage her charm through it all. <laughs> you know? Yeah, she was grabbing at straws like she had some type of media training. Like, yeah, yeah. When shit goes south, just smile, find your camera, and <laughs> smile at it. She was really struggling. And the whole the whole presence of Hannibal, I always like that kind of shit where it's like the guy. Like, you know, what is he really doing? Sometimes he's, he's just standing there. He's the most dysfunctional. There. Yeah, just standing and looming <laughs> every once in a while, chiming in. Do what he does? Or just like, let it, yeah. Cause like, just riff it the whole thing? That's Yeah, he's he's best when he's just, you know, off the cuff riffing. Yeah, yeah. In. I'll send him the script. I don't know if he's reading it. Right. He reads like the bare minimum, but like it does. it's better that way. It's just right. better if he's just like in the moment and just <clears throat> being himself. And that Stacy chick, she like, that was fucking hilarious that was fun the reaction that she had to the fake the fake picture of obama like where she was like oh what what like she was hot and bothered she did had no idea she was gonna see a big old dick she's gonna see the president's dick the president's fake dick what was she like afterwards she was actually really sweet i think like she had never done anything like that and even though i was like it was really funny. Saying a bunch of fucked up crazy shit to her. I think she was like she needed oddly it. charmed. Yeah. yeah, like she needed it. Yeah, yeah she's so tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I could tell like she was like kind of forgetting all of her like Fox News talking points because she was like, there's rats under her feet and she's looking at Obama's dick. And, yeah, yeah. It was good. It was um, good. And that rat handler like has to hide in that goddamn under my desk for like twenty minutes. You know, he's just boiling under there with a bunch of rats. So a lot around. of things happen under the desk. A lot of shit happens under the desk. Or we'll like, we'll, we've even like tickled the guest taint. We had Jimmy Kimmel on. We tickled his taint under the chair. We had a PA. What did he do? Like, tickling taint. He's like, 
He's like, it feels like there's a human <laughs> under my chair. He played it cool. He played it cool. But uh, did yeah. he know the show? He 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 probably knew it better than Stacy Dash and Jack McBrayer. It's interesting. How long are you? The gonna, comedians like, know it better than right. But it's so like, how long do you think you can get away with people not knowing? I don't know. But we had Jack Black and Howie Mandel on this year, and they both knew the show. Yeah. It didn't and matter. We were, and it didn't matter. We were like, we were like, how are they gonna? How are we gonna do it if they know the show? And we we're like, let's just hit them with some of our hardest pranks. Like, let's save our hard stuff for those two guys because, like, no matter how much you know the show, if it starts raining, use dental floss. You know, Harry Mandel's a germaphobe, so if we start like, raining, use dental floss down on his head, he's gonna have a reaction. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. So like, um, so it didn't. It was okay. It was actually. It was actually like. Uh, the man, the Howie Mandel interview and the Jack Black interview were two of the best interviews. We just went so fucking hard and crazy on them. Well, they'll he'll, they'll both play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was it was fine. Even when I mean, you don't want to stack the season with people that know you. The ideal guest is somebody that walks in knowing nothing. I just realized but I haven't interviewed Howie Mandel. He's great. I know. Yeah, interview his ass. You, like I get pitched people now, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's try that. Let's yeah. talk to them. Yeah, yeah. But then also, I just had Billy Crystal on for the first time. Yeah, which was you know, how was that? It was great. You got along with him. Yeah. Who was the most contentious? Well, nobody's really. I mean, like Ga- years Gallagher. Ago, he walked out. Yeah, but that he was, was your Lauren Conrad. Yeah, kinda. But, but I, I listened to that too, and it seemed like he was. Yeah. He was like uh, in a frazzled state. He always is. He didn't seem like he was listening to what you were saying. Yeah, I was just trying to guide something. It and he seemed made- like like you were talking. Yeah, and he already had whatever made up in his mind, and it seemed like this, like like all he heard was white noise. It was just like static yeah. in his brain. Yeah, I, yeah, he had made some. Was decisions. that in here? No, that was in a hotel room in Portland. That was. And did you on. ever reach back out and you were like, "Hey, Gallagher"? Not really, not really. Did he ever reach out and say, "Fuck you, man"? Or not really? You know, we like, had him on the Eric Andre show. How'd that go? It's the only interview we've ever filmed that we didn't really use. Yeah, we used two seconds of the footage. Because he was hard to, I think we had 21 interviews and we had to cut one and he was the hardest to shake because it was the same thing. Like I was talking to him, but he wasn't really processing anything I was saying. So how do you prank somebody like that or have any type of semblance of anything? Well, yeah, and, and like, the weird thing about him is like, I'm, I'm always pretty respectful unless yeah. somebody really is fucking pushing at me, you know? And like I, he deserves a place and, you know, he was a big deal. You know, he's a real comic. He did the work. He, you know, he did like 10 specials. I mean, I was willing to do that, but it just got a little away from me. And I didn't respect him that much. And that was before I was able to respect uh, people, even yeah. if I didn't like them. But um, contentious, it doesn't really get contentious. What happens is sometimes people come in here and they don't know what it is. So they expect questions. And I don't, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't write, you know, I, I'm banking on a conversation happening. Right. And if that doesn't happen, then it's sort of like, oh, fuck. So it's not contentious. It's like, you know, to keep at it until something opens mm-hmm. where you're kind of like, you know, they, they, they're engaged mm-hmm. and then hold that mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. So it's not usually contentious, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's a little like, what are we doing? Where yeah. are you at? What do we got? Why don't you get like a neo-Nazi in here or somebody like... It's because I'm, yeah, it's primarily a create, creative person show. Like a really creative neo-Nazi. Neo-Nazi. I guess I could do that, like get Jim Goad or somebody. Yeah. He's not really a neo-Nazi, but he's definitely on the margin. But of, he's like a wife, woman beating, but you know, white you, supremacist. Kinda, yeah, right. It's something. Wasn't he, he in jail for beating his wife like within an inch of her life or something? Jim Goad, the Jim writer, Goad, the writer, yeah. 
I don't know. The Again, Vice magazine contributing. Yeah, he, before that, he did a thing called Answer Me. There are these three magazines he did. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he went to jail for like beating his wife within an inch of her life or something horrid. Again, we can't verify that, and you don't exactly know. So no, but, I. But I mean, I maybe I, I would do can, that. I, I mean, and, and I wasn't there, but I think like I went down a wormhole of like researching the case, and that's what I came back with. I think like I do better with people that um, <laughs> I'm just talking about everybody. I'm just accusing, <laughs> just <laughs> accusing people of beating their wives. Just willy nilly. No, but I heard Jim go to. Are you all right? Cute, you got a girlfriend? Show. Uh no. I just uh, had a breakup. Mm. Yeah. In therapy, you're going to therapy. Going to therapy, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. You got medicine? No, I'll take a Xanax on a bad day, but not permanently on medicine though. Weed. Weed a little bit. I I hated weed for a long time, and I just got back into it. Yeah. I got a, a weed card. I was like, you know, and I lived in LA for eight years. Like, let me let me see what this weed card business is all about. It's interesting. I'll yeah. take like a little puff yeah. before bed, and take a bath yeah. in Epsom salt. Really? And I'll listen to like Willie Nelson or something. No kidding. And then take yeah. Then, is that true? Yeah. You take a bath in Epsom salt. I take like an Epsom salt bath. Where'd you learn that? I don't know from CVS. <laughs> Yeah, your, your riffing's not as strong as it used to be. <laughs> I gotta get this mic on top of my fucking head. <laughs> what am I, in a bathtub with Epsom salt listening to Willie Nelson music? You used to have more speed to him. <laughs> well, Those I'm are glad, my gulch days. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out for you, man. I like the new show, and thanks. I like you, and I, you. I hope we're okay. Yes, we're okay. All right, thanks, man. That worked out Okay. That worked out. I, you know, I, yeah, I was very. Uh, I haven't. I, I liked the guy. I mean, usually isn't that the case when you have these dumb beefs with somebody that rubbed you the wrong way? When you finally kind of get around to spend some time, you kind of have fun together, and you like the guy. And he's a he's a bright guy. He's a funny guy. Very talented. Listen to me. What am I? His show's funny. Watch it. It's tomorrow night. Starts uh, August fifth on Adult Swim. And go to wtfpod.com/tour to uh, check out my upcoming dates. You can go to the merch. To get some posters or t-shirts, whatnot. Yeah, do you can do all that. Alright? I'm gonna I'm gonna play my telecaster.